0: Welcome in once again, everyone, to the Talking Tide Podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst of BannaOnline.com and also the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. You can catch Southern Fried Sports weekdays, 11 to noon. The Talking Tide Podcast Twitter feed is uh, at t- uh, Talking underscore Tide. And uh, you can get our podcast at podbean.com, our web host, and, and as well various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This Wednesday Nighter here, Travis and I will be previewing Alabama's forthcoming home game against Arkansas. We'll bounce around the SEC on the back end of the show, as we always do. Uh, but, Travis, we preview this uh, Alabama Arkansas game, a 6 p.m. kickoff on ESPN from Bryant Denny Stadium, your stage setter here. Arkansas two and five on the year, zero and four in SEC play. Alabama seven and zero and four and zero, and uh, the Vegas man's got it. Alabama by thirty two in some precincts, maybe a, a point or a hook different elsewhere, uh, but a heavily, heavily favored Crimson Tide. The Vegas man doesn't seem to care that Tua Tonga Valoa Val- Val- is, is not playing in this game, Travis. I, I don't. I look at that spread and I wonder if if Tua was healthy.
1: Would that number be in the forties? I think it would certainly threaten it. Um, and the and the Vegas man he, he looks at Arkansas right now too. And you you gave the numbers in terms of record and you know where this team appears to be headed for a second straight season in SEC play. That means a bagel in the win column in conference play. Uh, you know, multiple factors in play, and the Vegas man understands that uh, there are some other guys on this Alabama football team, specifically on that offense. And uh, I don't think Steve Sarkeesian is going to be guarded to the point where you know he's going to turn Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and Henry the third into triple option stalk blockers all night on Saturday. So the man, as you know, Chase, he takes a lot of things into account that maybe the average Joe doesn't pay his attention to as good
0: yeah I hear you, I hear you. I, I just I'm just amazed that that with a with a a backup quarterback, it, it it's still north of four touchdowns and, and I get, yeah. and I get it that that Arkansas has had an awful year. There's no question about it. Uh, I tell you who else has had an awful year is the ticket man? Uh, yeah. bottom range, your, your ticket man update, bottom range for Alabama, Arkansas. 20 to 25 dollars what else i noticed travis when i take a took a glance at the at the ticket market for this game earlier today you can get in section gg which is 50 yard line lower bowl on the visitor side right now for under 100 bucks
1: yeah so i believe it
0: so it's light it's light in the middle too
1: yeah, you know, it, it's it's literally going to rain on the Ticket Man's parade, it looks like, this weekend in Tuscaloosa, too. So, some potential for weather not helping uh, the Ticket Man from that standpoint. You know, and Nick Saban gives to the Ticket Man, Chase, and Nick Saban takes away from the Ticket Man. And that, the, Nick Saban has created some... Some opportunities for the ticket man to buy his own private island when you talk about national championship games, SEC championship games, uh, regular season games against the likes of LSU and Auburn. But when it comes to these games against Arkansas and and some of these other SEC teams and non-conference teams, uh, he takes away from the ticket man pretty good too. I
0: ran into the ticket man on, on the Saturday that Alabama played Tennessee. And I told him I knew he was having a tough year, and he thanked me, Travis. He thanked me for recognizing his plight, said he appreciated the understanding. Uh, And and, and I asked him uh, about the LSU game having to basically carry his season. You know what he said to
1: me? He said, we got to get there alive first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he's talking about LSU, too. He's not just talking about Alabama. I mean, Ticket Man's got to worry a little bit about LSU this weekend. I think LSU beats Auburn. But, you, know, you, you got to do it first, right? Um, so there's some home games for both these teams to take care of. Uh, just, you know, the ticket man, he, he, he's just thinking, just get them to the bye week. Just get them to that bye week undefeated. And then, and then that works to his advantage, too, because you're going to have, it's going to be like a Super Bowl buildup, right? You're going to have the two-week buildup, like a Super Bowl or something. Yeah,
0: yeah no doubt about it. Uh, it's going to be, it's, it's, he's going to be looking to score big, uh, in early November, no question about it. A uh, couple notes on this Arkansas game, Travis. Uh, on the Arkansas defensive side of the ball, uh, my guy John Chavis, I've always been a John Chavis guy. Chief! I, I, Chief. I, I, I kind of hate to see what's become of the Chief uh, uh-huh. in, in, in recent years. Arkansas's defense ranks 87th in the country, which is a little below the 50 percentile mark. Uh, maybe not just a little below, but uh, 413 yards per game in that ranking. Another one of note: 75th in, in the uh, in the NCAA out of 130 teams in tackles for loss per game at only 5.9. The Chiefs' defenses that you that you think back to in the LSU days, the Tennessee days, those were dis- those were disruptive defenses. They'd get 5.9 tackles for loss and a half, some of them, and. Um, it's just I, I want to see the chief close it out Travis at a at a Wisconsin or a Michigan or somewhere where that where they can slow things down for him because ever since he jumped on that fast break train uh, offensively it's been a
1: tough sledding for him well John Chavis is on that Jolie Dunn track uh, you know in terms of his career path and you're right Tennessee some great defenses Um it's just been a debacle for Arkansas defensively. It seems like for the last five or six years, uh, but that's really what Chief has become. Chase, he's fully really done, except he wears a belt and socks, you know. And and that Jolie didn't do those things. Chief does. Um, you're right. The, the, this is an Arkansas team that makes up for ranking 13th in the league in rushing offense. By ranking 13th in the league in rushing defense. And when you talk about this matchup this week, you know, you saw Tennessee do some things on the ground. I know the final rushing total wasn't like old Misses from a couple weeks ago, but Tim Jordan, Ty Chandler, they had some success on the ground uh, last Saturday night. Well... Uh, it, that's a struggle. This is a struggle for Arkansas up front right now. Arkansas's offensive line isn't to the standard of Tennessee's. And Tennessee's we're talking about with two true freshman tackles, who, by the way, are going to be very good. Trey Smith at left guard, Brandon Kennedy at center, played a good bit of football. He's a veteran guy, of course, started his career here at Alabama before moving on to Tennessee. So while Rakeem Boyd, you look at his numbers, and he ranks top three, four, five in the In the conference, in in rushing yards per game, as an offense as a whole, running the football, it hasn't been easy. And by the way, Ben Hicks started last week against Auburn at quarterback, banged up shoulder, still some uncertainty about his status. Alabama might see uh, Nick Starkle on Saturday night, the former Texas A&M quarterback, um, you know, who has had a shot this year to start and uh, been very up and down, to put it nicely, And uh, we'll see who's even behind center. We talk about Mac Jones for Alabama. Arkansas's got some of those same questions. It's been a while, it seems like, since Alabama's gone into a game week knowing who they're going to see at quarterback. It's kind of that way around football in general right now, man. Isn't it? I mean, you kind of got to to the point where you expect it in the NFL about the midway point of the season. It's just gory what happens to quarterbacks in the NFL. But, man, we have seen it. From the outset of this season, you can go around the Southeastern Conference and, you know, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Alabama now, uh, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee. I mean, it's amazing. You know, Georgia and LSU really are, are, have had the, the stability cards when it comes to quarterbacks right now. Yeah, no doubt. Kellen Mond that. at A&M. Yeah, Mond at A&M stayed upright, too. I think I saw a note somewhere this week
0: just buzz by. I didn't I didn't research it or dive into. It. I think I saw that this week with Mac Jones under center is the first time
1: in the Saban era that Alabama's yeah. starting a backup due to injury. I think it's 2004. You've got to go back to Mark Gillen. Uh, I was actually at that game in Fayetteville. He started ironically enough against Arkansas in 2004. He was a Miami transfer. Brody Coral went down early in that season with an ACL against, I believe, Western Carolina. And Mark Gillen started against the the Razorbacks uh, 15 years ago now already. There, There can't be another team in the country that's kept quarterbacks upright better than that run for Alabama, I would think. This, this injury to Tua and his absence on Saturday, it kind of encapsulates the last two and a half seasons, though, doesn't it? And how it's been a 180 from what those first ten years under Saban, first nine, ten years were. Alabama was very fortunate from an injury standpoint in the, uh, through about 2016. Uh, in 2017, you get in that season opener against Florida State. You have uh, multiple injuries just even at the outside linebacker position in that game. Throughout that season, you still had issues. Last year, you had issues. Uh, and here we are once again, you know, into the, the third season in a row where the injury luck hasn't been as much of a friend of Nick Saban. No, it hadn't.
0: Uh, the Alabama offensive line, will hit on that real quick. Travis, it does seem like that interior grouping of Neil Dickerson and Brown is kind of solidifying itself. It looks, like, it looks to me like uh, Nick Saban and staff have
1: chosen the horses they're going to run with. It does look that way, doesn't it? Especially when you continue to go out to practices and you see Chris Owens in a number eighty four jersey, like he wore on Saturday night. Is that that extra offensive lineman in tight end clothing, basically? Because the, and, and listen, they 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 have a real need as far as that hand in the ground, true uh, blocking type tight end because they really don't have one right now uh, from that standpoint. So. You know, Chris Owens can certainly help from that standpoint. Kendall Randolph has done some of that as well, a converted offensive lineman. But yeah, it looks like Dickerson is the guy at center for now. You know, With Deontay Brown back in that lineup, you've had back-to-back 100-yard rushing performances from Najee Harris. Evan Neal uh, has played well. I think I think the sack of Tonga Vailoa last Saturday night, depending on how you grade that play, if you're Kyle Flood, that one may have gone... On Evan Neal, although there was early pressure from the other edge that sort of led to to a drifting to his left and kind of ran him into that sack. Right. Uh, but Evan Neal, otherwise, especially in pass protection, and he's got the background of a left tackle in high school. Uh, he, he's just seeming to get better and better.
0: Chris Owens, kind of the new Brandon Green.
1: Pretty much, yeah. You know, you can kind of look at guys through the years, right? You know that they'd use that extra offensive lineman, go unbalanced. Sometimes just straight up put a tight end number on him, like Brandon Green. That would probably be uh, the 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 comparison that that most people would associate it with. And
0: Green came you know, in it, as an OT, right?
1: Yeah, he did. And and I think there were even some games where maybe he went from you know eight, uh, 58 jersey number to eighty nine. You know, as a tight end, it was kind of by the minute. It seemed like with Brandon Green, but. You remember Alfred McCullough, some of those guys that you know they would use in some different ways, maybe uh, you know, as an extra offensive lineman.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. It's uh, always always a big guy on the end. Nick Saban always likes somebody that can grind it uh, right next to the tackle, and and some most years he's had that guy. Most years he ha- he's he's had a, a Michael Williams, for instance, who, who I think performed in that real roll pretty well uh travis mccall even before uh williams um but but you know there have been some years where they've kind of had to scramble for that guy and that opened a little window for green and it uh, looks like it's opened uh maybe something of a window for chris owens as well although all that said if there was a um if somebody got dinged up anywhere in that interior owens might be your plug-in right
1: Oh yeah, I think if there was a situation perhaps at center specifically you could see Chris Owens jump right back in there uh, as a plug and play option uh, at center. They're working other guys there too. Emil Ekior, the redshirt freshman uh, you saw him in the game for Evan Neal uh, against Tennessee. When when Neal had to leave there for a little bit due to what apparently was a minor injury it was actually Ekior that was the first guy in at the guard position. So you know, they feel good about multiple guys, I think, at those interior spots. It's it's not an area where, you know, there there's much uncertainty. They've got a couple of three guys. I mean, Matt Womack, look at all the football this guy's played. You know, um, he was every game starter a couple of years ago at right tackle. Um, you know, and and, and I'm not going to say he's a down the depth chart guy, but, you know, he's not probably a top seven guy right now. Maybe he's a top seven guy. He probably would be the next tackle in yeah. when I think about it, yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. It's, it's been uh, out
0: of sight, out of mind with him this season, no doubt. Uh, one of the mo- And as long as we're talking about the offensive line, I think one of the most competitive one-on-one matchups anywhere on the field Saturday, if, if, if people like to watch a little one-on-one action like I do sometimes instead of following the ball so much, McTelvin Ajim, the defensive yep. tackle at Arkansas, he's a handful, and mm-hmm. it'll be fun to see whoever he ends up going
1: primarily against uh, in those A-gaps. Yeah, you read my mind on that one. On Thursday afternoon on BamaOnline.com, I do my three matchups, and that's one of my three for this week for this game. Uh, McTelvin Ageum and TJ Smith also the two defensive tackles inside against Evan Neal, Deontay Brown, and between those two guys, Ageum and Smith, you know, seven and a half sacks. That's not a bad number for some interior defensive linemen uh, when you combine their sacks. Now, Ajum has, I think, five of those. Uh, and you're right, he's been an absolute handful. Alabama has seen a good bit of him the last couple of years. I think he's playing more inside this year. I think he was uh, playing a little bit of end or a good bit of end in previous years. Uh, so I agree. You know, If Alabama is going to continue this trend of running the football uh, pretty well, uh, it, it's going to start right there in that matchup, and then you know, if you can neutralize that situation from the Alabama perspective, uh, you know, linebacker outside of one veteran, you know, still playing a lot of young guys at that next level for the Razorbacks. Yeah, Nick Saban commenting specifically on direct
0: runs being uh, a big uh, factor in the improved running game, and what he's talking about there is moving people up front. Uh,
1: Absolutely. Then, yeah. And being able to get to that second level, you know, you've got some combination blocks where you've got guys trying to climb to that linebacker level. And, you know, Dejon Harris is a tackling machine for the Razorbacks for a couple of years now. This is a guy who's, you know, going to be 100 tackles a year for the most part. And uh, so, you know, he's capable of making some plays. But again, uh, some youth and some uncertainty at those spots sort of around him there. Special teams, wise Travis. Before we move on, is there
0: any kind of is there some mystery? I guess on the, the uh, prognosis with Will Reichardt, or is there any any kind of a handle on on what he's looking at?
1: Yeah, you don't like to hear the word re-injure from Nick Saban in relation to that hip flexor for Will Reichardt, because that tends to make you think that you're back at square one with that situation, which is you know probably well, certainly not the best of things, but. Uh, I would expect Chase that Ty Pirine gets another shot this week when it comes to punting and you know Joseph Bullavis is their guy on placements. Um you know, made all of his extra points last week, missed a field goal, uh, kept his kickoffs inbound, so you'll take that. But that would be my guess this week, Chase, that it's Bulovis on placements again and Pirine is your punter. Talking Tide Podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play,
0: Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. Chase Goodbren and Travis Ryer with you. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors of the show. Uh, real quick for you, starting with North River Dental Associates, charter sponsor of the Talking Tide Podcast, and Dr. Jack Smalley and his professional staff of dental hygienists do it all over there at North River Dental. Whether you need porcelain veneers, teeth whitening services, laser dentistry, pediatric dentistry dentures dental implants oral surgery they do it all and on a routine cleaning they're going to have you in and out of there typically in under an hour north river dental associates located conveniently off mcfarland boulevard at 1100 fairfax park right near the uh west alabama pediatrics it's easy to find and dr jack does a fantastic job they're also great working with those insurance people sometimes that can be a hassle and sometimes the uh the physicians or dentist office where you're at can can make that easier or harder and uh over at dr jack's they know how to work those situations as best as they can be worked they're quick and responsive uh when information needs to get passed in one direction or another had some great experiences over there in that regard as well also want to thank session cocktails and spirits tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar in downtown tuscaloosa 2221 university boulevard it's located uh, right near Rock and Roll Sushi and the Children's Hands-On Museum, right between there, uh, Hunter Wiggins has put together a talented staff of bartenders. They're putting out some fantastic signature cocktails, a deep and lengthy signature cocktail menu over there at session. They've also got a separate happy hour menu with some outstanding selections on it as well. But get over there, uh, try the Capri with that Tito's hand Handmade Vodka. That's outstanding. Uh, they've got an old-fashioned over there made with the buffalo. Trace that you can't go wrong with. Uh, there's a gimlet over there uh, with some Broker's Gin in it. They do a great job. Uh, Elijah, Sarah, the whole staff over there will get you taken care of
1: at Session Cocktails and Spirits. You know what I'm going to do, Chase? I'm going to give our listeners who are going to be in Tuscaloosa this weekend for homecoming, I'm going to give them the Saturday one-two punch right there in downtown Tuscaloosa. Get up. You know, get yourself ready. Maybe you've had a rough Friday night. No excuses. You know, it's a game weekend. You got to you gotta bring it. You got to be able to play a little hurt. Well, I can tell you a place that's going to make you feel a lot better regardless. Go to breakfast at Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Do what I did this past game day Saturday morning. I went to Brick and Spoon with the wife and the youngest. Uh, daughter and I had the shrimp and grits for breakfast and I'm going to tell you why it works even better than you would think it does because I mean you've got the grits right and the shrimp are great any time of the day I don't care what time we're talking about here well at brick and spoon they'll put a poached egg with some holiday sauce there on those shrimp and grits for you and if you're not a poached egg person you can get the egg any way you want it I got mine over medium cut open that egg let it kind of do its thing over those grits and that shrimp. Oh, my goodness. Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. Get up and do breakfast there. Then you wander over to the parade right there, just a block away or so in downtown Tuscaloosa. Go to the parade. Enjoy yourself throughout the day. Six o'clock kickoff chase. Pre-game, you head over to Heat Pizza Bar at Government Plaza right there in downtown Tuscaloosa. You space out the meals, and you're going to be able to to have the best pizza you've ever put in your mouth at Heat Pizza Bar. Also, a full bar there. So if you want to sort of pregame, get ready, geared up for Arkansas, Alabama, Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza, a great place to do that. Man, we were lucky last weekend. I was able to take in Brick and Spoon and Heat in the same weekend. In fact, that went so well, I think I'm going to do it again this weekend, Chase. And then when you walk out the door at Heat,
0: uh, you can get that nightcap at session just to complete the Absolutely okay, yeah. Complete the Talking Tide circuit. Yeah, the talking tide trifecta.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll do we'll do some kind of talking
0: tide crawl sometime, you know. We'll start with that
1: we'll do a, We'll do a walk in and talking tide. <laughs> we'll just gotta walk between all those places and do talking tide while we're doing it.
0: Kick it off with one of those Brick and Spoon Bloody Marys. All right, oh. uh, the, the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer with you. Talking a little SEC football away from Alabama for a couple minutes before we close things out. Auburn at LSU, definitely a game that a lot of eyeballs are going to be on, Travis. Does Gus Malzahn have the juice with this team to go on the road and get it done against... What has been for half a season one of college football's elite offenses?
1: Yeah, I'm interested, man, because I want to see what that defensive front for Auburn can do in terms of trying to get Joe Burrow out of his comfort zone, because that's what the first half of the regular season was for Joe Burrow and all the credit in the world to him. I mean, he is he has been phenomenal. He's been outstanding. Uh, no arguing with the numbers. They're historic, especially in the annals of LSU football. But I think LSU, excuse me, Auburn, has that ability on defense to maybe heat up Joe a little bit. And I'm not talking about with five or six guys. I want to see if that four-man pass rush for Auburn can be a, a problem for LSU. It certainly was for Arkansas last weekend in Fayetteville. So, yeah, count me definitely as someone who will be very much in tune with what's going on in Baton Rouge. I think LSU still gets the job done. You know, Red Stick for whatever reason hasn't been very kind to the Auburn Tigers. Nineteen ninety nine, the last time Auburn won at Death Valley. And uh, besides, it's, it's a really good, really good LSU team, as we know. And then conversely, Bo Nicks. You know, are we going to see a better Bo Nicks uh, on the road at LSU than we saw against Florida? Going to have to gonna have to if Auburn's gonna have a chance to win the game because I still think Auburn will run the ball okay against that LSU defense uh, but those jet sweeps to Anthony Schwartz they don't work as good when there's a safety like Grant Delpit running the alleys chase so you're gonna have to have a little bit more than than what Gus typically scripts for the first 10 to 15 plays you know that's when it'll get interesting once those 10 15 20 plays on Gus's script are up you know, what does he have secondarily for that LSU defense?
0: Yeah, are there five plays he feels comfortable going back to, or does he get to the end of that script and say, okay, <laughs> new script, please?
1: <laughs> yeah. Second City TV, time to improv.
0: Yeah, that LSU defense is going to be interesting. Watch for me. Uh, I, they got a lot of talent in that secondary. Uh, they got a nice pass rusher for sure with on Chase on. He could put he could heat up Bo Nix. And so I and watching him working against Prince Tega Wanaga is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be an outstanding matchup. I'm looking forward to that one for sure. South Carolina at Tennessee, we'll move on to that one, and then uh, we'll wrap things up here on Talking Tides. South Carolina, of course, coming off a pretty disheartening loss to the Florida Gators uh, at home, a game that, that South Carolina was in pretty good shape to win for about three quarters, and then they just kind of vanished. Uh, and we all know what Tennessee is, is coming off of. What are your thoughts on that one, Travis?
1: This, Chase, is the Raft Up Bowl. Because both teams feel like they got hosed last week, right, by officials. Neither fan base, South Carolina or Tennessee, very happy with the Zebras from the Southeastern Conference from last week. Um, Man, it's two programs that just seem to be sort of stuck in that same spot, right? And, you know, I I think as much as anything, as big as beating Georgia was for Will Muschamp a couple weeks ago, it's going to lose almost entirely all of its luster that win if you back it up with a home loss to Florida and a road loss to a two and five Tennessee team. You know, all that cachet that Will had suddenly found in himself in possession of, I think, will be largely gone if they can't get the job done. The Gamecocks can't against Tennessee this weekend, and I think similarly. You, you got that situation with Tennessee. I think there's been reasons for some optimism, some some impressive moral victories against Georgia uh, and, and Alabama, uh, and an actual win over Mississippi State sandwiched between it all. But you know, I think I think Tennessee. I think Jeremy Pruitt. They need this game. The problem is, you know, Brian Maurer, the freshman quarterback, is in the concussion protocol for the second straight week, Chase. So you got to think. He's not a real factor this week. Do you trust Jared Gor- Gorantano after the events of, of, of the sneak that went awry, the self-called sneak? Um, I, I don't know what other choice you really have if you're Jeremy Pruitt, if, if you're going to have a chance to, to win the football game Saturday.
0: No. It, it... Looking at the way, and, and I'm not sure what the situation with Marr is right now, but but after him coming off a concussion and then getting knocked out again against Alabama, you, you really don't have an option other than Garantano. And it sounds, from what I understand, there's some Tennessee fans uh, pretty up in arms. About, they, they don't want to see Garantano after, after the whole mishap with the sneak. He's caught a lot of heat. For um, doing kind of going on his own instead of going with the called play there, and, and what turned to be turned out to be the biggest play of the game, probably, and the Vols lost to the Crimson Tide. So yeah, that's messy. But I think Pruitt did the right thing and basically saying, look, we're going with the guy that's going to help us win the you know win win whatever game we're about to play. And <sighs> You know, it's, but yeah, between that situation and the officiating situation, it it had been some hot tempers over in Knoxville. Greg Sankey, Travis, comes out with a statement today. All these fans, South Carolina uh, fans and and, uh, Tennessee fans kind of chomping at the bit to see what was in that statement. It was just a mission statement is all he gave. He gave gave him the Frankie finger from
1: uh, Goodfellas for you. Yeah, Frankie yeah, you know, Greg, Greg Frankie, we can call him. Uh, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't blow my hair back, Greg Sankey, and it really hadn't since he, he took over as commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. I, I just, just kind of an empty suit is the way he comes across to me, but uh, he does. He has the fan bases after him. Chase, he came up with that Twitter handle, though, for SEC officiating. That was going to create an avenue of transparency yeah. in, in, in in relating to the fans. Go check out that, that Twitter handle right now. Every one of the tweets, well, looks like we got another one right. That's all. <laughs>
0: Yeah. The there's mentions- no ap.
1: Well, there's no apologies. No apologies from the from the ref ref man on that account. No
0: apologies. No. It, it, and uh, the funny <laughs> when you click when you click on the mentions for that feed on oh, a Saturday yeah. afternoon. Oh, yeah. They
1: don't. Get- yeah. Keep the young kids away. Yeah. Keep the young kids away from the laptop when you do that. <laughs> they,
0: they get rough. N S <laughs> F W. Well, that's that's uh a good one to drop it on. I think uh, we're going to close it out here on the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us for the Sunday Nighter as Travis and I recap Alabama's game against Arkansas. Until then, I'm Chase Goodbread of nfl.com and Crimson Cover Television. So for Travis Ryer of bamaonline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, we'll talk to you Sunday night right here on Talking Tide.